Welcome to Hope for the Heart. Thank you today for tuning in to listen to the broadcast. We are in the book of Revelation, uh, teaching a verse-by-verse study. Uh, My name is William Rogers. I'm the teacher. And uh, I appreciate so much you tuning in and listening in the comments that I do receive on this. I know it's a hot topic. I know it's a very timely subject. uh, And I promise that I am uh, trying to do with due diligence to the scriptures uh, as I can possibly be and, and to give you. So that's why I'm taking a verse-by-verse study and a verse-by-verse approach so that we don't miss anything. I know I can't literally take every verse all the way through here because time just would not permit that to happen. But I want you to look as uh, we give uh, the context for the day. is Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. I've been uh, anticipating this ever since I got into the book of Revelation uh, several months ago in the chapter 1, I've been looking for chapter 6. Well, chapter 6 is here, and it is a doozy. So I want to give you the, the context tonight. It's going to be uh, verses 1 and 2. I say tonight, I'm sitting here looking at the sunshine. I don't know why I said tonight. But I'm looking at the sunshine, and I want you to look at the Word of God. And chapter 6 of Revelation, verses 1 and 2. And I will read those to give us the context. And then a few minutes later, I'll give us another passage of Scripture. But for this one, the Word of God reads, beginning in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. First thing I want you to notice out of this is that this is John speaking. When he says, and I saw, this is John, he's still in heaven. And what a tremendous time this has been for him. Uh, One that could only happen in the spirit. I don't think his flesh could stand what he's been able to see. We've seen such a glorious, tremendous uh, thing happening in in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 as far as the, uh, the, the, in fact, glorious is the only word I can use for the praise and the the worship that is happening, especially at the end of chapter 5. And then as this scene shifts, we we shift it from heaven to earth. And we're going to do that so often in Revelation, and I'll try to let you be aware of when that's coming. But this lamb steps forward now and takes that book, and he is uh, going to break one of the seals, as I just read. And he unrolls the first seal, opens the scroll, and the, which we have said is the title deed to the universe. John sees this event. He sees this and he witnesses this. And like I have said so often, I can't even imagine what this must have been like. Because he's seeing something in heaven that's going to be affecting the earth. Now the people on earth don't see this. And that is a, a general observation that we have here is that they will not see this. And so I want to examine this carefully so that we can have uh, perhaps an understanding of this that maybe we've not had before. But I want you to notice that the first thing he sees is the lamb breaking one of the seal and the contents are revealed. This is a legal document which represents the rightful heir, his power and authority to take back control of the earth. And we've already talked about that in a couple of chapters. So as he opens it or breaks the seal, he sees a white horse, but not until one of the four living creatures uh, you hear uh, him actually say with a loud voice, come, and this is the voice of thunder. One of the four living creatures is just a reference, and we've looked at this as uh, angels and perhaps even cherubim that we have said. 
uh, because we see the same kind of description. Remember, we looked at Ezekiel chapter 1 around the throne of God, and one of them says loudly like thunder, and after all, thunder and lightning is coming out from this throne that we saw in Revelation chapter 4. Uh, so, it is a throne of judgment, and his voice is a voice of judgment, and he says, come, and immediately a white horse comes and a rider. And you say, and, and you would have to say, well, what is this? Well, this is, and I'm, there's several ways to describe what this is. This is the beginning of the tribulation period on earth. Now, the earth won't see this event happening. They won't see this. This is going to be an interesting thing because we see it because God has told us what it is. But we would not know this ourselves. But the horses were associated with war. And we, we don't have any way to really get into way horses are used to the scriptures. But horses are representative of power, of magnificence, of majesty, or victory. Uh, and he comes, and here comes this horse, and the one who sat on it is a rider. But I want you to understand as we look at this, because I, I'm tired of reading commentaries that talk about this rider. But we're not told that this rider, uh, anything about him. But I want you to understand, it's not necessarily a person. Because if you will notice, look down in verse 3. And he broke the second seal, and the second living creature says, Come. And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace. And so, uh, the black horse and the pale horse uh, have designated, and is not necessarily a person either. So, None of these necessarily represent a person. That's not the focus here. Just a note, the Lamb broke one of the seven uh, seals to remind you that seven is a number of completeness or perfection. That's why seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. Uh, because this completes the judgment. When all of them are complete, the universe of uh, Christ's kingdom has come. The millennium will be here. All of these events also occur in this period called the tribulation period, which is a week, the seventh week of Daniel, a period of seven years, just as Jesus said, I've divided, uh, uh, Jesus, as I have said, divided it into two parts. The birth pains, and we're going to get into this in a minute in Matthew 24, which is the first half of the tribulation period, which I know might be a little different than some of you may have heard. So I've had people t this week asking me, is what we're seeing now the birth pains of what Jesus talks about in Matthew 24? Well, I don't think so. I think it could be a preamble to the birth pains, but I don't think they're the birth pains. Uh, the Great Tribulation, which is the second half, separates uh, separated between the two halves is the abomination of desolation, which is when the Antichrist will desecrate the temple in Jerusalem and uh, kind of heats up the persecution and tries to destroy Israel and sets himself up, up as God to be worshipped by the whole world. So as we saw, the first half, generally, you have four seals. This, When it says in Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 is one seal, 3 and 4 is another seal, 5 and 6 is another seal, the fourth seal is 7 and 8, and then number, verse 9, you had the beginning of the fifth seal. But the, the four seals is peace, war, famine, and uh, death. The fifth seal is really what we would call, and we are see this later, is the abomination, and it triggers a persecution. And the sixth seal uh, brings the end. So really what you have here, and I'm, I hope I can make this clear, 
because if it's not real clear this time, then perhaps in the next two or three messages they will get clear. But what we see in Revelation chapter 6 basically is a general overview of the whole tribulation period. And, and I don't know why that commentators don't actually explain it like that, because that's exactly what you're seeing. You're seeing that it's broken into two halves, the first three and a half years, which will basically be known as peace and safety, and the second three and a half years, which will be known as the time of Jacob's trouble, or the great tribulation, or this uh, that we're seeing here, which will be a terrible time of judgment. And so it's broken into two parts. The first half, generally, is the first four seals. Uh, that's what, the, when you see six through eight, this represents the first half, the first full half of the tribulation period. Remember that tribulation period is seven years. So the first half of this is covered, generally speaking, from verse one to verse eight. Verse nine represents the middle of the tribulation period that's going to be triggered by the abomination, and it's going to trigger persecution. And then the second half of the period, uh, which is the next three and a half years, uh, goes all the way till Revelation chapter 11, verse 2, and Revelation 13, 5. Even designated there is the exact number of days, 1260 days. So the time period is set. It has to be seven years because we're even given the months and the days to know what half it is. And so we take that by two and we get to come up with seven years. But Scripture says in Matthew 24, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, so the end of the seven years, Christ comes back. And that is represented here with the sixth seal. I looked, and when he broke the sixth seal, things change on the earth. So now you're given the context. We're at the beginning. The seal is opened. The voice of the cherubim says, Come, and he comes. Well, who is this? And some say it's Christ. Well, it can't be Christ. I remember one of the first, very first Bible studies I was a part of in my own house uh, for a singles group, and we had different teachers that would teach every week. And one teacher, uh, one guy stood up to teach, and he said, this is Jesus, and he knew it was Jesus because it had a white horse uh, represented here. And I think, I know me and my older brother just freaked out because we knew for certain it was not Jesus. But it can't be Christ. Well, why can't it be Christ? Because Christ is the one opening the seal. That's the first reason. It can't be Christ because the rider has Stephanos. has a different kind of crown. He has a Stephanos crown that, that you win as a prize. Christ wears a diadem for a crown. That is a kingly crown. And we find that in chapter 19 of Revelation when we see him. It can't be Christ because Christ doesn't come at the beginning. He comes at the end. It can't be Christ because I'm giving you all these reasons why it can't be Christ. I didn't even know all this the first time I heard it. But it can't be Christ because Christ never says he carries a bow. But it does say he carries a sword. Some say it's the Antichrist. Well, he's certainly there. I mean, it certainly encompasses the Antichrist kind of activity. Uh, the horses don't represent individuals. They represent a force. War is a force. Famine is a force. Death is a force. The Antichrist is the main man in the peace, but the horse and the rider represents the peace. He's not alone. There are many Antichrists, many false Christs, many imposters, and this horse and his rider represent 
a false peace headed up by the Antichrist. Well, you might ask, well, how do you know, uh, William, that it is a false peace, that it represents a false peace? Well, the fact is he has a bow. That's a symbol of a warrior. But if you have a bow, you need something else, and anybody would know you need arrows, and he doesn't have any. And I don't think this is a, a just a lapse in memory for Christ to, to forget to tell us about the arrows. I think it's intentional. The absence of arrows speaks of a bloodless victory, worldwide peace brought by a covenant maker. And uh, this is what I think we see represented by the Antichrist. And then there's an interesting phrase here in, in verse uh, chapter 6. It says in verse uh, 2, uh, I looked in the, in the white horse, and he was said had a bow, and a crown was given to him. You see that phrase? He is sort of a, a democratically crowned here. In other words, it's as though he's been given this crown, uh, put into this position. It doesn't seem that he took it. It's just given to him. He's been honored, and I think he has been honored. I think he's been honored by the world and elevated and given prominence. This peace has been made. Uh, king by the world. Everything is subservient to peace, and since the Antichrist of peace is primarily, uh, I mean the architect of peace is primarily the Antichrist, everything is subservient to him. He is rewarded. And I think this is really what what Revelation is telling us here, is that this is brought about, this is the judgment. This Antichrist has been given this power by God. He's been given something that is very interesting uh, for the world to see. And I just want to read you a passage out of Second Thessalonians chapter 2 when it says, And all the deception of wickedness for all those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth, God will send them a strong deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. I believe part of what's given here in this part of Revelation is that this is going out and the world is going to believe him. He went out conquering and to conquer. He's uh, run a long series of triumphs and he's bringing the world into a time of peace. That is the deception that Jesus talked about when he said that many would mislead. This is this is really would, would be considered probably when it comes as a golden age for the earth, uh, a utopia that the Antichrist is going to help establish with his covenant with Israel that Daniel spoke about. Peace, uh, misleading, deceptive, false peace, orchestrated worldwide by false messiahs and led by the Antichrist. And of course, once the peace is established, the Antichrist rises to the top. So I think, really, when you get into Revelation chapter 6, you're looking at the picture of the beginning of the tribulation period that is going to be begun with a peace. But it's going to be a false peace. And I think this is what this is telling us. There's going to be one person over the world uh, that is going to be a, a leader of this, and we're going to, uh, the world will believe whatever he tells them. That's how he is able to get the world into a peace situation. God is going to delude the world. He's going to let the delusion run. That's all going to fall into the false peace. The bow down to this great world ruler who epitomizes it, and it's a trap in which they will be caught and killed. The world is headed for war but first it's headed for peace. That's really what Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, is leading us to. That's what it's actually talking about.
So, in order to really get a, more of an understanding of this, I want us to, if, if you can, if you have your scriptures there, to turn to Matthew chapter 24, just so I can explain a little bit more of this piece. I wanted to explain Revelation chapter 6 first, as far as the seal being broken, the, the, the cherubim saying, come, and the white horse, and the force that it represents, and the bow, and the crown, and the man, or the rider, and the false peace that he brings. So I want you to look at Matthew chapter 24, and I just want you to look at verse 3. It says, As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, Olives, this is Christ, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age? <coughs> and so this is, these are perfectly normal questions, That's because he's been talking about some things that have gotten their attention, and so they're asking for simple answers. When will the final end come? When will judgment on the world system of evil and darkness come? When will the beginning of this new eternal age of light and righteousness come? They ask with eager and hopeful anticipation. And Jesus answered them quite interestingly. And really, without revelation, we might not even be able to put this into a context. But Jesus answered and said to them in verse 4, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will mislead many. Stop right there. When is it going to all happen? Well, he's not giving us the actual time, but he's telling us that, that it will all start with deception. When is the end? When is the final judgment? Well, Jesus says it starts with deception. It starts with someone who comes to mislead, who says, I am Christ, and I will bring peace, that I am your deliverer, I will be your savior, I am your Messiah. A very deceptive, very misleading proclamation. And it won't be just one. Look at verse 5 of Matthew chapter 24. Verse 5 says, For many will come. In fact, really, I hear uh, one, one teacher say this. It, really, the word many there actually means millions. I don't know that. My translation doesn't. My, I, I did a word study on that. It doesn't mean it when I see it. I don't know where the, the man got that, but it says many. So there's more than one. Many will say, they'd be saying this. We're coming to bring world peace. We're coming to bring in a new world order. These are, 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 are people who are trying to bring the world into an alignment of, of globalism. And uh, they're architects of the false peace that begins at the end time judgment. But you've got to remember that this peace is not just something that happens. It is a judgment coming straight out from the throne of God. Now, it won't last very long. That's the thing about this piece. That's the thing that is deceptive about this piece is it's not going to last long. Look at verse 6, and you'll be hearing of wars, rumors of wars. Verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and the result, famine, earthquakes will follow. And then verse 9, there will be tribulation, persecution, and you'll be hated by all nations on my account. Now, what you have here, and we won't go into the details, is Jesus saying, when, it, when is it going to happen? Well, first, there's going to be a deception. That deception will be followed during the time that will be the tribulation with wars, famine, natural disasters, and persecution. And even with all that going on, to follow this, verse 11, many false prophets will continue to arise and mislead many. They're still going to come, even though the, the wars come, they're still going to be proclaiming that peace is coming. They're going to say, peace, peace. It's like the Old Testament prophets said. Uh, they will say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. 
they will always have as their message. Peace is just around the corner, even as far as we are living in the final judgment. Peace is still coming. You come down in verse 21, the second half of the seven-year period. It's called the Great Tribulation. The first half, in verse 8, is really the beginning of birth pain. So what this is basically saying is that Jesus has given us an overview of Revelation chapter 6, and he's given us an overview of the Tribulation period. The first three and a half years are going to be called the birth pains. The second three and a half years are going to be called the Great Tribulation. And even during that time, verse 23, the people are going to be, still be proclaiming, here is Christ, there is Christ, false Christ, false prophets are going to arise showing signs and wonders so as to mislead and possibly even lead, uh, mislead the indirect to a different view and focus, the elect themselves. Then he says in verse 25, I've told you in advance, if you say, uh, if they say you hear he is in the wilderness, don't go. Here he is in the inner room, don't believe it. Listen, from the time of the beginning of the tribulation period to the time of the end, after the rapture of the church on, it's going to start with a false peace. Now remember, the church isn't going to be here. The false peace will crumble into roar, war rapidly as God seeks wreaks havoc in judgment. But even in the midst of that, the false prophets are still going to be crying peace. That's absolutely insane to me because it really doesn't matter what they say. There's People are going to be believing them because one of the reasons is because of the delusion that God is going to send causing the world to believe them. But even with the signs that precede the final day of the Lord, which is at the end of the tribulation period, when the full fury of God is unleashed, and all the signs leading up to that with the wars, the famines, the pestilence, the plagues, natural disasters, with all of that around everybody, people are still going to be deceived about peace. It is a desperate cry, and I tell you this, once they get a taste of it, at the beginning of the tribulation period, then they're going to crave it. They're going to be desperate to get it back. In fact, is that not what First Thessalonians says? I was reading this just a few minutes ago before I began. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says this, verse 3. So while they are saying peace and safety, this is the description, again, of Revelation chapter 6. While they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come, and it'll come suddenly like birth pains upon a woman. There's that same terminology, and they won't escape. They'll all be saying peace and safety and destruction will come, and the day of the Lord will be beginning. Matthew 24 takes you from the beginning of that time called the tribulation right on through to the return of Christ. And you know what? Revelation chapter 6 used to really confuse me because I know the return of Christ is found in Revelation chapter 19. You, I mean, most anybody that has read this knows that the return of Christ is in Revelation 19. But what I didn't understand was this sixth seal being broken. And I can't wait to be able to explain that to you. Because here, is in the sixth seal, which is part of Revelation chapter 6, is part of that generalized or generalization of the period. And it will be fully explained. But I want you to understand it. Uh, this this period of time, the first phase of it, just so you understand, it, is deceptive peace by deceptive would-be saviors and peace bringers, a deceptive Christ. Imagine people going out there and telling the world this. Well, false teachers constantly do that now. They tell you junk. They tell you stuff that is not true according to the Bible, 
I have, you would not believe the people that contact me and say, does the Bible say this? I heard someone preach this the other day, <coughs> excuse me, or this or that. And I think, no, that's not true. I don't know how people can say the things that they say. But the whole period escalates from war to famine to natural disasters and pestilence. Even though the abomination of desolations take place and desecration of the temple, even though the persecutions, they come right on down on the brink of the day of the Lord when the sign of the Son of Man appears in heaven. Jesus is ready to come back and the sky goes black. Right up until that moment, I believe there will be people who thought they could still bring in peace. And they'll still be proclaiming, don't worry about what you think you see. I think they're going to be saying, peace is still coming and there will be people who can believe it. It just seems to me like there's always people that are willing to believe these evil uh, teachers. But, you know, this is not new. This is, goes back to the Old Testament. Even Jeremiah's day, he was told to prophesy the day of the Lord. And he, he says, uh, even though he warns the people by saying, already evil looks down from the north, a great destruction is there. You can see it coming. So blow a trumpet and warn the people. But in spite of everything that Jeremiah said, to oh, the overthrow of Judah and the overthrow of Jerusalem, despite the precursors, despite the imminent judgment, despite the power right there visible to them, they could see it right on the brink. The brink. They kept believing everything would be fine. Everything would be fine. Why? Because over in chapter 6, verse 14, false teachers came and false prophets, and they said, guess what the, te- guess what the message was? Well, their message was peace peace. They kept telling them peace was coming when peace was not coming. Judgment was coming. And I think that's where really a picture of our day. Uh, they can say peace is coming and the world is going to think it's in peace because it's going to be a bit of a utopia and it's not going to be long lived. It's not going to be peace. False prophets always say peace. They always talk about a new order. They always talk about a world of peace. So when you come to the end, you can go back to Matthew 24 for a moment, and you'll see when the when it comes to the end, it's going to begin with false peace, false prophets, false Christ, one great antichrist, one great ruler and leader, and we'll see more about that as we get into Revelation. This one great antichrist will be over all the other false Christs and false prophets and false teachers. They're going to try to orchestrate this peace. It's going to work for a while. In fact, we know it's going to work because the first three and a half years it's going to work. But then it will turn bad. A deceptive peace is coming. It's coming led by a false Christ and an antichrist. And it's the first signal that the book has been opened, and the first seal has been opened. Now, Matthew 24, again, just a little bit of sequence. Verse 6, 7, then describes wars, rumors of wars, nations against nation, kingdom against kingdom. The second thing that's going to come is war. The third thing that's going to come is famine. The fourth thing that's going to come in verse 7 will be earthquakes representative of massive natural disasters. First, peace, war, famine, death, natural disasters. Now, when you put those in Matthew 24 like that, and then you turn over to Revelation chapter 6, an amazing thing happens. Because you read Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, here's the first horse is a white horse. He represents uh, peace. The second horse is a red horse, represents war. Uh, He took uh, from the earth, men slaughtered one another. The next is a black horse. It represents famine. 
the scales and the black and wheat and the barley, taking away the, the uh, famine conditions, or talking about famine conditions. And then the fourth seal, a pale green or ashen horse, represents death, natural disasters, plagues that are also mentioned there earlier. And so you see the parallels with this. Matthew 24, and you know, I don't think I ever really understood that at first. I, I just I just hadn't read enough, and I, maybe the revelation just wasn't there for me. But the parallels are exact from Revelation chapter 6 to Matthew chapter 24. These are the horses. Jesus said peace, war, famine, natural disaster. Of course, implies ma- massive death. Jesus said these things in verse 8 are merely the beginning of the birth pain. So really what you have in Revelation chapter 6 verse 1 is a birth pain. And it's going to be not something the world is going to feel it's going to be something that the world is ushered into. Uh, verse 9 uh, of Matthew chapter 24 even gets more desperate here with the persecutions that's going to take place. But I believe that as soon as the time period begins, it's going to be uh, conversions taking place. I think the minute that the abomination of desolation takes place, I think God is going to reach down and save multitudes and multitudes of people. And I think that's who we see in the fifth seal is we see the souls of all of those around the throne worshiping God. Now this is actually an incredible time, and I know I can't really get all into this, but I've, I've, I've approached some of it, and that, that's where I'm going to have to leave it for today. I can't get into how this ties in with Daniel. But as we go through this, we're going to be tying in Daniel, some from Ezekiel, some from Jeremiah, and some from uh, uh, Thessalonians and uh, most of it for Revelation and then Matthew chapter 24. So I am I am excited about this study. I hope that you will kind of follow along as we can, we can. I hope this hasn't been too confusing, but you'll stay with me because next week we'll obviously review just a tad with the verses 1 and 2, but then we'll get into 3 and 4 and then 5 and 6 for next time. Thank you again for joining Hope for the Heart. And again, this is William Rogers saying, Uh, Thank you, and keep reading your Bible. Do not ever take your Bible for granted. Read it daily. Thank you again.